Welcome to Waterbrook Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota. Our new series in Luke called Glorious Disruption, being taught by our senior pastor, Kevin Dibley, is about when Jesus shows up and turns everyone's world upside down. We believe this study of God's word is about to turn many people's lives completely around. It may be even upside down because that's what happens in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus comes to people who are absolutely stunned and amazed by him, and they are profoundly and gloriously changed forever. Let's begin by praying that this happens here at Waterbrook and beyond for our joy and amazement in Jesus. Let's worship together. We have the glory and the hope of Christ on our, be- on our behalf. So I, I praise God for that. Even as um, uh, Brother Bruce was reading through the, the woes that Jesus was giving in this passage of Scripture, I was just thanking Jesus that he is a warrior, savior. Um, that he, when he is coming into these texts of scripture, he's going to war uh, against hypocrisy and sin, especially amongst religious leaders, because he's on his way to the cross. Praise God, he fights for us. And, and some, of this, some of Jesus' words are hard words, but praise God, he says these hard words that he might uproot hypocrisy and self-righteousness. And so I just thank, thank God for clarity. Sometimes we just need Loving, gracious, strong clarity from Jesus. Let me also add this, and then let's pray for a moment again. But uh, young men and women who were over at Hopkins High School last night, I just want to tell you I'm proud of you. What a gift as a pastor, as pastors, to see the Word of God going out from our young people, a lot of our young people, loving it enjoying it. Thanks, Andrea and Jeff, for coordinating it. Thanks for our crew. But as a pastor, to hear the Word of God, to see Daniel come alive, to see the the laughter and the joy and the seriousness and all of that, may God bless you. Thank you. Uh, What a gift uh, to have so many of our youth serving that way. So that was great last night, and I just want to acknowledge that on behalf of our church family. So here's what I want you to do. Uh, Today, I want you to um, pray. Jesus, speak to me. Just pray that today. Just pray. you, You have some hard things to say? Here's my heart. Break any hardness in my heart. Break any hypocrisy in me. I can't trust anyone but you, Jesus. But I can trust you. And so let's just pray that together, and then let's, um, let's see what he does. Not just today. Let's see what he does with Waterbrook, with us, as he, we continue to pray that he would work through us. So let's pray together. Oh God in heaven, um, we are, as uh, I think Gabe said it earlier, there is a Pharisee lurking in all of us. There is a lawyer who wants to justify himself and me, but I don't have to do it because I have a lawyer at the right hand who has made intercession for me. I have not a hypocritical Pharisee. I have the Son of God who was perfectly righteous in every way, not just on the external, but on the internal. And he died in my place for my sins. So come, search our hearts so that Waterbrook Waterbrook might be a safe church for broken people, for sinners to find Jesus. That's our prayer 
In Jesus' name, amen. So as some of you have heard, you might not have known before you came here today, but um, after the second service today, the building team is going to present um, our uh, research and studies and plans uh, up to this point in time for uh, building expansion. And, you know, uh, I, I think this is the, a great text on a Sunday on which we're going to be doing this because um, one of the things you need to ask the question is why would you expand a building? And uh, why would we even be in the process of praying how God's going to do that, if God wants us to do that, um, when and how and all of that? And the answer is simply God has put us on mission together in this area for the advancement of the gospel. But having more space is not our biggest issue. Uh, having right hearts is the crucial issue. Um, having hearts that are prepared by God and, and ready. Because what God intends to do, what we see in, God, the, in, the Luke, in Luke's gospel happening, is Jesus is going after the outcast, the sinner, and the broken. And my dear friends, Waterbrook has to be a place where the sinners and the broken can come in and not feel like they are somehow attaining to some human righteousness, not working something in their own strength and effort that they can merit, but they need to come in and hear that there is a Savior, to hear the repenting of God's people, to hear heartfelt and see heartfelt deep heart work in our lives so that they might realize, oh, there is hope for broken people. Not brash, self-righteous, self-confident, arrogant people, churchy people. We need to be a church where Jesus is everything. And you hear it from the worship team and the scripture readers and the greeters at the door and the person you get over coffee with that somehow this is a battle right this is those of you who are raising children those of you who are trying to help your parents this is a battle people walk into church if by the grace people that you invite in come in tired broken weary (laughs) unable they don't need to hear you need to dig deeper work harder do better they need to hear there's help and there's hope Right? And so we need to hear these woes. Because Jesus is going to the cross and he's looking at the religious establishment around him. And the religious establishment is, they've inoculated themselves against the only thing that can save them. Jesus. They put up walls of resistance trying to stand on their own two feet, trying to appear like they're something that they're not. My dear friends, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That's it. There's no other categories of salvation in this world. Male, female, Jew, Gentile, slave or free. Christ came for sinners of whom I am the chief. And so what we need in the church what we need together is to be a people who come continually to the savior and confess and and have him examine and grow and minister in that grace and love listen to 
Philip Riken. He says, what's the biggest danger the church faces in the 21st century? Is it secular hostility to biblical truth? The spread of Islam and other false religions? The doctrinal errors of post-evangelical theology? These are all serious dangers, but judging from what Jesus said in the gospel, the gravest danger may come from theologically informed, religiously active, morally conservative people whose hearts are far from God. Just, just think about that for a moment. This section of scripture in Luke chapter 11 at the end when Jesus says the woes sounds a lot like Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 5, the Lord speaks against his people and says, Woe, woe, repeated woes five, six times, woe. And as the woes are spoken against Judah and against its leaders, as those woes are being spoken, then God speaks and gives a vision to Isaiah of God holy and lifted up in the temple. And Isaiah says what? Woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. And you and I are to hear Isaiah and go, that's the right response. That's the right response. And because of Jesus, we can respond that way. My dear friends, when we look at these woes, we have all of these tendencies within ourselves. And we need to say, woe is me. For the Pharisee and the lawyer that's in me. And today we need to go, oh God, Jesus help me. And show me the right way in which to go. The word woe means, this is David Garland's definition, it's akin to a curse that warns against catastrophe which looms should the current behavior continue. And so you and I need to stop and go, when we hear woe, we go slow. When we hear woe, we go, okay, let's dial it in, let's turn it in, let's not look at, let's not elbow anybody, but ask the Holy Spirit to elbow me. Elbow me now, Holy Spirit. Let me see Jesus in all of this and come and deal with what is in my heart. Here's what our prayer is in a sense for Waterbrook. Our prayer is that Waterbrook would be a people prayerfully equipped and passionately engaged with the hope of the gospel in order that we might be a true refuge, or I might call it a safe community for broken, sinful people to be rescued, healed, restored, and then engaged in the glorious global cause of Christ. Isn't that what we want to be? We want to be a people that when people come in, they can hear the gospel, believe the gospel, believe that broken people have a chance. I mean, there's secular communities. Alcoholic Anonymous do a better job at times than the church coming alongside the broken people and telling them that there's hope of transformation. That ought not to be the case. And so as we talk about building a building, Let's get on our knees and ask that God would break us and build a body that would be safe for broken people who need to believe again that there's hope for them. And, and, and you know, if, you, if, you, if you're that person who just reluctantly came to church today, 
I just want to say, if you don't hear me say another thing this morning, let me just say to you that Jesus is far more for you than you could ever imagine. And whatever you think of the church, and whatever it's done, whatever it's trying to be, we're a mess. But Jesus is faithful. And he says these things because he loves you. And he loves me. And so here's, here's just what I want to say. I really want to kind of go through this quickly today. And you can spend more time on this. But here's what we need to have happen here at Waterbrook. Let's not think of any other church. Let's not think of any other people. May God be gracious to every other church for the sake of the lost and for the glory of Jesus. But while the building is going up, the people of God are to keep growing into deep Christ-likeness. So we want to pray, A, that we would be a continually humble and repenting community. Number two, to be a generous, just, merciful, and loving community. Emphasis on generous and merciful and loving Number C, to be a truly impactful presence in the community. I want you to think this morning is what really, what really changes people's lives? What really makes an impact in people's lives? D, to be a grace-giving, burden-bearing body of believers. We've got to help each other. We've got to carry each other's loads. And to be a Christ-exalting, gospel-communicating community that when Jesus comes and confronts us with our sin, we go, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. When Jesus shows us there's change, that the, the nature of the church is that we're constantly available for the correction of the Holy Spirit so that we might be made whole, so that we may be made healthy, so that we might be helpful for the advancement of the gospel. Right? Do we agree? with these things. So let's just walk through the text. Uh, if I were to sum up what Jesus does, he takes a Pharisee and he says, give up your hypocrisy. And he takes a lawyer and says, stop your religious hostility. And I'll show you that in the text and how this unfolds. So let's look at what happens here. In Luke chapter 11, in verse 37, Jesus gets an invitation to eat with the Pharisee. And it says, so Jesus goes in and reclines at the table. And it says, the Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. That's a good indication of where your heart is. What astonishes you? Right? What astonishes you? I can't believe he's not washing his hands. He should be sitting there thinking, I can't believe the Son of God has taken on human flesh and has said yes to my meal invitation." Right? Isn't that a staggering reality? He's got Jesus there. Jesus didn't wash his hands. And this is an indication of what has happened to the Pharisees' religion. It has become an external rather than an internal reality, which is much more manageable even though it's meticulous. Much more manageable even though it's meticulous. So look at what happens in verse 39. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did he who not make the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Jesus is saying really clearly, you, you do this meticulous thing. If you look at some of the rabbinic writings, 
you, you would probably laugh at the absurdity of them, but they took it quite seriously. They would go and wash their hands, and they had rules. If you washed one hand with water before every meal, and then you went to wash the other hand, you had to be careful how you did it because this hand could be contaminated by this hand if you didn't wash properly. And so you had to be careful, for example, that if you washed your hand here, you didn't wash your arm here and the water drained down. Because if the water went from here to your hand down, that hand became unclean. You know what? I would never eat a meal. <laughs> I am not like uh, meticulous in any way. You know, I just fire hose it, let me go. <laughs> Build my immunity system naturally. I don't care, you know. But can you imagine what it was like? And Jesus is not jumping into that at all. Do you think Jesus knew what he was doing? Oh, of course he did. Because Jesus is going to confront the hypocrisy of this Pharisee by triggering the reaction and then telling him where his need is. His need is not external cleansing. He should be astonished at the condition of his heart before God. One of my, uh, when I was young, I read a Puritan book called Keeping the Heart by John Flavel. It became a, a, a favorite of mine. And this is what Flavel writes. He says, the heart of man is his worst part before it's regenerate and the best afterward. It's the seed of principle and fountain of actions. The eye of God is and the eye of a Christian ought to be principally fixed upon it. Your, so your eye should be on your heart. Now I like this line. The greatest difficulty in conversion is to win a heart, the heart to God. The greatest difficulty after conversion is to keep the heart with God. Got that? The greatest difficulty is watching my heart. Doing church, functioning well, presenting well, that's easy. Guarding my heart? Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 says, Keep watch over diligently over your heart, for out of your heart flow the springs of life. And so we begin with this call to examine our hearts. And, and the hypocrisy is... You know, this is, this is repeated in the Old Testament. This isn't new. Isaiah 29, 13, the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouths, honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. We want rules. We want church. We want gymnastics. We want to look good. But do we want a new heart? Do we want a clean heart? Do we plead with God to do that? If we're not doing that, I'll tell you, we'll not be a help to the broken and the needy who at the core, if the Holy Spirit is convicting them, their anxiety and their guilt and shame are struggling in their hearts to sleep at night, to find rest. We have to be a people who come before God and say, change my heart, O God. Search my heart and know me today. J.C. Ryle says these words, let me counsel every true servant of God to examine his own heart frequently and carefully before God. Do you do this? Now be careful, I'm not saying to merit anything. But to look at your heart and to say, why am I so anxious? Why am I so busy? Why am I so distracted? What's my value? We, I do this in, in premarital counseling for some of those who are getting married soon. As you're going through premarital counseling, one of the things I ask them is, how do you help each other hunt idols? 
Because there's stuff that, the stuff that comes out in your marriage is the stuff that's going on in your heart. And so you've got to find out, God, search my heart. Show me what it is. This is a practice, he says, which is useful at all times. It's especially desirable at this present day. We ought to watch our hearts with double watchfulness. We ought to give more time to meditation, self-examination, and reflection. It is a hurrying and bustling age. If J.C. Ryle would have known what what it was like today. My dear friends, busyness is, to keep, is designed to keep you from this. To slow down and to seek God. What we're actually told to do is don't give God all these out for outside external things. Give him your heart. True almsgiving is to bring your heart to God as it is and, and offer it up to him for the Holy Spirit to work, for Christ to cleanse, for transformation to take place. Waterbrook, would you start there with me? Would you say before we do any external, let's invite the Holy Spirit to the internal. Before we talk about projects in space, oh my goodness, there's all kinds of perils if we do not have this space. The Old Testament, when, when the Holy Spirit came and filled the Holy of Holies. Oh, that the Holy Spirit would fill this in place and make it... A, a sanctuary for Jesus. Would you agree with me? Secondly, in this text of Scripture, Jesus is confronting this hypocrisy of the Pharisee. In verse 42, he says, Woe to you, Pharisees! You tithe mint, rue, and every herb, and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting others. And so here's the second thing we ought to commit ourselves to be extravagantly generous uh, Tim Keller's book was entitled Generous Justice. We need that combination of being generous, just, merciful, and a loving community of God. So here's what they would do. They would say, we are not going to rob God of anything. We're going to give God his due. And it came right down to the mint leaves that they harvested. God got the tithe that he deserved. The Old Covenant, the Old Testament law, Le Leviticus 27:30 says, every tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. And so, you know, you have the Pharisees going along and they've got the, all the rules of how you make sure you don't rob God of anything. And their vision of righteousness was their meticulous, detailed, Giving to God. The, the problem was that that was, not, that was not the heart of God. That was hardly the heart of God. It was the opposite in a sense. That was basic Christianity. It was, we have a God who's extravagant in his love and mercy. And that's where they get confronted. Mike, can I ask you this question? When we're meticulously asking the question, have I done enough for God? Are we aligned with the heart of God at all? the character of God. I mean, what is happening in this text of Scripture? We know the Son of God is on His way to the cross. Now, we weren't perished, Peter writes, with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of the very Son of God. God is radically generous. And the question that we ought to be asking about our hearts is, A, 
Do we look around us and see the broken and the needy and our heart isn't, have I given enough? The heart, our heart is, am I reflective of the mercy of the, God, of the God who has loved me and cared for me and continues to do so? Aren't you glad that God's a generous God? A merciful God who cares for the downcast? Listen, I was, listen, I was reading this morning from Psalm 147, 1 to 6. Praise the Lord. For it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars and gives them all their names. Anybody seen the James Webb telescope this week? You want to get blown away by the glory of God. Why did God not make one galaxy? Why did he make hundreds of millions of galaxies with hundreds of millions of stars by which he might name them all? I'll tell you why. So you might know that your God is an extravagant God who lacks no resources and who loves you with an everlasting love and that God will never let you go. Is that your heart? Oh man, Phariseeism can just pull back and go, okay, I've done my little bit. I've checked off my box. Now on to Dibley's schedule of things. Oh, God, help us, right? What we ought to be praying over our hearts is, Lord Jesus, you know. You know I lack the mercy that you, you have. Help me. You know. I'm just trying to pharisaically check off a box. When, when Jesus, you took on my humanity that you might be raised up as a high priest forever that's generosity ralph prayed from first peter chapter one blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ who caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of jesus from the dead into an inheritance which is imperishable unfading reserved in heaven for you who are being kept by the power of God unto salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Like in Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, when that day happens, when we go into the next level, into the next part of the story, the story actually begins. So let's just take away this vision of a stingy God, a grumpy God, a grumpy grandpa up in heaven. I'll tell you, I've been spoiling my grandkids as much as I can this week, and they're ruined, you know. <laughs> I just tell you, like, they'll, they'll be here for the second service, so I won't, but, you know, the parents come out, I, I make English muffins in the morning with peanut butter, and I put a fire on in the backyard, and then we smother them with marshmallows. <laughs> the worst possible breakfast, it's so good, right? <laughs> now, I'm sinful, <laughs> Well, what am I doing? Yeah. And, I, and I whispered this to my kids, my grandkids. We were sitting around the fire, and I said, I can't wait to heaven. I tell you, this is going to be nothing. It's nothing. Birds singing, the sun shining, swimming in Lake Laconia. Nothing. He's going to make it all new. That's the heart we have to have. When people come walking in, broken, we have to say to them, we're weak and weary, 
But you help us. We'll help you. Let's fight this battle and pour out our energy. And, you know, it's tough. I just feel for, I, I, as a senior pastor, I hear a lot from you. And you guys, you, you burn out week after week trying to love your kids and your, and your parents, your families, and your coworkers. I just plead, God, give them grace again. Fill the tank. We've got to do it. We're in this together, but isn't that why we're thinking even a building a little bigger? So more broken people can find out we have a God who isn't broken, but who can heal and help and show mercy. So that's what it is, to be extravagantly generous, just, and merciful. Here's the third one here with the Pharisee to have a truly impactful presence. Notice what he says. Jesus goes after the Pharisee in verse 43. Woe to you Pharisees. You love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings and marketplaces. Woe to you for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. What, um, what Jesus is saying here is you guys love to walk pompously through, you know, say things like I'm the senior pastor, whatever that means. My mother's watching. She's not impressed, <laughs> right? Um, that, the, the idea of titles and positions and all this, appearing super spiritual. He says, you go walking around like that, but the reality is you're actually infecting people, not helping people. Unmarked graves, you know, they mark their graves because to touch a grave, to, to touch the dead would make you unclean. And they said, they, come and they encounter you and they don't even know it. But they've touched death. Spiritual death. And you infect them with it. You can raise up a whole bunch of hypocrites who think Christianity or thinks churchianity is going through the motions, having a routine, making sure you're doing your devotions, showing up at church on Sunday, being good little boys and girls that go to church. My dear friends, we're sinners in need of a Savior. This is far deeper than religious performance. What we actually need is to ask the question, how might my life, Waterbrook, how might we actually make an impact for the kingdom while he gives us breath? In Matthew, where Jesus teaches his Sermon on the Mount, he confronts the Pharisees for the very same reason. He confronts them and he says, you guys love to parade through the marketplace and hear people greet you. But this is what I say to you. Go into your closet and pray that only your father might hear you. You want to know what real impact will be, I believe, through Waterbrook? Is when Waterbrook becomes more and more a deeply praying church. Not before the eyes of men, not just in front of one another, but when we go deep with God in our private life, pleading over our own hearts, pleading that the Holy Spirit would come on Sundays and Wednesdays and at workplaces and into our families. Let's be a praying people if we're nothing. Right? That's what Jesus teaches. The difference between impact and no impact is whether or not God is in it. And so we need to come and plead with God. That's the Pharisee. I could say more, but I'm running through this. <laughs> a lawyer comes on the scene, and he's offended. Listen, look at what happens here. 
It's really interesting. Verse 45, one of the lawyers answered him and said, teacher, in saying these things, you're insulting us also. You're painting with too white of a brush. Careful, Jesus. Yes. I mean, maybe he just was sitting on the sidelines. Yeah, good. Give it to him. Because he was unimpressed with the Pharisees. But he was an expert in the law. Meticulous in the details. And he was saying, you know what? When you talk like this, everybody's going to think we're all hypocrites. Man, we're not just doing the outside. We're working on the inside. And Jesus looks at them and says, i got a word of woe for you too. Because while you might say you're not being self-righteous and hypocritical in that way, let me tell you something. While you're being meticulous out here, you are putting up standards around you for other people, and you are not doing a thing to help them beat the battle, to find the Savior, to find rescue and rest. Look at, look at what we also need. And I'll summarize. We need to be a grace-given, burden, a burden-bearing body of believer. Look at what he says in verse 46. Woe to you lawyers. You load people with burdens hard to bear, but you yourselves do not touch the burden with one of your fingers. That's where I made the comment about Alcoholics Anonymous doing a better job of this than the church a lot of times because they know that you can give principles, but you've got to show up. It's not just coming to the one meeting. It's being accessible between the meetings. It's having your mentors. It's making disciples. It's having someone to call. It's having someone who will actually stop and look you in the eye and mean it in their heart. How is it going? I'll tell you, the future of Waterbrook has to be that we have to grow together in this. We have to have a love for people that we don't just say, yeah, this is our good theological description. These are our definitions of discipleship. Here's our Sunday morning program. Here's our Sunday school program. Here's our youth program. Here's how we lay it all out. This is how we're going to do marriage training. This is how we're going to do deacon training in the fall. We can do all of that. But my dear friends, it's hard to show up for the meeting for half the people. job isn't to busy um, busy Americans. Our calling is to help our broken brothers get home. Right? Fight the fight. The battle of the lies that keep you. My dear friends, we're a mess. We'll be a mess till we get home. We just need, we just need Gabe to stand up. And begin to sing the name of Jesus. Jesus, worthy is the Lamb who was slain for us. Right? That's what I need to hear. I need, to, I need you to tell me again who he is, what he promised. I'll tell you, that's all we do largely as pastors. We do a lot of stuff. But every day, day after day, day after day, texts, calls, phone calls, what are we doing? We're telling people that you are not alone. You will not be forsaken. The promises of God are true. And we'll fight side by side because there's an enemy that wants. And Jesus looks at this lawyer and he says, don't paint with such a large brush. You know what? You, you are, you, you, 
you're, you're responding to the criticism of God because you feel like you're self-righteous, because you're doing it in the details and you've got your devotional life right and all this kind of stuff, but you've got 100 people laying in a bloody mess around you. We need each other, don't we? We need each other. Oh, God, help me as a pastor to not do church. Thank God, help Waterbrook. If, if we build and we stop being broken, God, help us. Right? If we build and it just makes us busier, God, help us. But if we can bring more broken people to the feet of Jesus, build together, grow together, pray together, weep together. Let's just weep. Can we weep all the way home? Okay, I, was, I will. I'll do, I'll do my part. <laughs> some of you need to laugh all the way home, and some of us will weep all the way home. But let's get home. Let's get close to Jesus. Let's lift up Jesus. That's one thing. We need to be a burden-bearing people. Shriner says the lawyers are greater, increasing the load of the burden on keeping the law, but they don't do anything to lift it. Finally, we need to be a Christ-exalting, gospel-embracing community. And essentially what he says is, you're getting hostile, Jesus says, and this is consistent with the history of the Old Testament. The history of the Old Testament is that God would send the prophets. He would send the prophets, and the prophets would come. Thank God the prophets would come. Right? We saw last week, you know, or last couple of weeks, Jonah was sent to Ninevites. And the Ninevites, thank God that Jonah came and said, you're going to hell. If you don't turn around. They repented. They'll rise up on the day of judgment, Jesus says, and confront you. He says, he says this is this what you're going with. The, the, the lawyers, they're, they're defending. They're angry. How dare you, Jesus, come and talk so directly and harshly. And, you know, there are people who do not want to hear that we're sinners in need of a Savior. We don't want it touched here. Talk about whatever is pro problematic in the culture, but don't talk about what's problematic with me. And so Jesus, uh, Jesus talks to him and he says, Woe to you, verse 47, you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed, your witnesses. You consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, Jesus is the wisdom of God, by the way. Wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah. And you, what essentially Jesus is saying there is that from the beginning of the Old Testament to the end of the Old Testament, the story was the same. This is the nature of sin. We silence the voice of God rather than repent. So Cain and Abel. Abel's offering brought conviction upon Cain because he offered by faith. Cain was trusting in his works. That was the message. You cannot save yourself. And at the end, in the Hebrew Bible, the last book of the Bible was 2 Chronicles. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 24, Jehoiada the priest's son, Zechariah, comes to Joash. 
who, after Jehoiada the priest dies, Joash is influenced by others and turns away from God and worships idols. And the son of Jehoiada, Zechariah, comes and says, you've got to repent, you've got to turn around, you've got to return to God, and they kill him. And Jesus has said, well, the word of wisdom says this, they're going to do it right till they do it to me. That's a humbling statement. Jesus knows what's going on here. He says, you're confirming all of them by resisting me. You need to repent. And you know, Waterbrook needs not, again, I'll just, I'll, I'll just come back to it and say, Waterbrook can't be a church that is resistant to the reality that we are broken, needy sinners who until we get home will always need a Savior. And, and the best thing that we can do, the only thing that you and I can do is we can lift up Jesus Christ continually. And when somebody comes in, they ought to see repenting pastors and worship leaders. They ought to see people going, woe is me, help me, oh God. Not because we're uh, dour and pessimistic. There's that weeping and rejoicing together because here's the good news. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom your pastor is chief. Don't you want that? Don't you want to hear that sung? Don't you want to hear that repeated? Because I'll tell you this, some of you, some of you sinned this week. <laughs> some of you sinned this morning. Okay, I'm going to change. My theology says all of you did. Right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And what we need are not lawyers arguing our case. What we need is one lawyer at the right hand of Father who intercedes for us and who will bring any charge against God's elect. It's God who justifies. It's Christ Jesus who died. Worthy is the Lamb. That's how you build the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a bunch of people broken and bowing at the feet of no one but Jesus. Boasting in no one but Jesus. If I boast in anything, I'll boast in my weakness. And I'll preach one thing, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Do you believe that's what we need to be? That's how you build a church, a real church. Anything else is fake, artificial, and deadly. So let's pray. Oh God, I, I thank you for the woes that warn me. I trust no one like Jesus to warn me. Holy Spirit, help me. If you don't warn me, I'll wander. Joash lived rightly while Jehoiada was alive. Father, would you warn us? Would you deepen our humility and repentance? Just keep us repenting. Would you give us not these little markers, these little fake measuring sticks of spirituality, but would you fill us with the love of Christ? Would you overflow us with the mercy of the gospel? Would you cause us, dear God, to be a people who make a real impact Father, we want to see Victoria, Minnesota loving and trusting in Jesus. We want to see the Southwest 
Twin Cities full of churches that love Jesus. People flooding in, broken lives, deep wounds, great struggles finding the Savior. Would they find him here? Would they find him wherever the people of Waterbrook go? We want this to happen in America. We want it to happen in the nations. There is a Savior for sinners of whom I am the chief. Help us, oh God. Build your kingdom, we ask. God's people said, amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were able to seek, savor, and share the all-surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to find out more about our church, submit a prayer request, watch previous sermons, go to www.waterbrook.church. Have a blessed week.